Last Sunday, uh, if you were here, um, you heard me tell this whole story about being with my granddaughter and uh, not being able to get her some cinnamon rolls at the store because I forgot my wallet. And uh, I came into my office this morning and guess what? Someone had brought me a whole package of cinnamon rolls. That's so awesome. As if someone heard and decided to get me what I couldn't get for myself. So thank you. And whoever you are, I will share these with you. That's so cool. So I wanted to begin this message by telling you this story about this time that I was with my granddaughter looking at a beach house and I forgot my wallet. And I will share it with you, man. I promise I will share it with you. Well, I'm glad you're laughing because that's about as good as it's going to get this morning. This uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 is hard stuff, and today it's hard stuff. And I want to invite you to lean in to the hard stuff with me this morning. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Peter chapter 2. It's a huge turn from the way that, first, uh, the way that 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, began and ended. If you were here last week, we talked about how hopeful 2 Peter chapter 1 was, you have been given everything you need to participate in the divine nature of Jesus. So incredible, this news that we heard last week. Everything you need, you've been given. Nothing you have to do to acquire it. You just receive. Just amazing truth. And then in chapter 2, Peter's going to change direction really fast. Much of this chapter is going to include warnings from Peter to the churches, to church people, primarily around false teachers. I went through this chapter this week and I counted 25 things that Peter pointed out for the church to be aware of. We won't talk about all of those, but just want you to know that this chapter is heavy, heavy. And I want to invite you in, all the way in. So here are the first couple of verses, verses 1, 2, and 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Peter starts this section by talking about false prophets, false teachers in the church. If you are looking at your Bible, look at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, second, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says this, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets through humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about the prophets. And then all of a sudden he turns the direction and he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. It's a huge contrast. Peter is contrasting, comparing false teachers in the church with false teachers in Israel way back in Moses' day. 
Peter's saying that just as, though, just as there were those who misrepresented God back there in Israel, so there would be those who would misrepresent him in the church today. When, you might know this, when God first set aside Israel as his chosen people, he wanted them to be able to, to know who the false teachers were. And there's a whole chapter in Deuteronomy 13, all the way back in Moses' day, a whole chapter devoted to instructing the Israelites on how they could spot a false prophet or a false teacher or a false dreamer or even a false miracle worker. And then you probably know when Jesus began his ministry, he includes a warning or two about false teachers. Toward the end of Jesus' longest sermon, uh, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. If you have your Bible open to that passage, just keep your finger there. We're going to come back to it in just a second. Matthew dedicates one whole chapter. Uh, Matthew chapter 23 is one whole chapter of Jesus calling out false teachers. If you want to hear Jesus fired up, read Matthew chapter 23. I was going to read the whole thing, but I'll just point out one verse that'll summarize Matthew, uh, Jesus's words in Matthew 23, verse 15. Jesus says these words, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So, it's going to be no surprise that when we read Peter's letter, you can hear his passion in encouraging the people to watch out for false teachers. Peter is just doing what he heard Jesus do. He's simply teaching what he has been taught. He's ensuring that people in the church learn how to live and love like Jesus. But there will, this is verse 1 one more time, but there will also be false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. I want you to look at that phrase, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. That's what these false teachers were doing. They were denying Jesus. They were saying, no, Jesus didn't do this. No, Jesus didn't do that. You need to do this and you need to do that. What Jesus did isn't enough. They were denying Jesus. These False teachers were making accusations against Jesus and Peter is saying, hold on, hold on, that's not true. Want you to know the truth. Want you to know the true Jesus. This is how you can spot false teachers. This is it. False teachers deny Jesus. To deny Jesus is to deny his incarnation. That he left heaven and came to this earth. To deny Jesus is to deny his salvation. That he lived the perfect life that we could never live and then paid the atoning death. To deny Jesus is to deny his substitution that he bore our sins, that he took our punishment. To deny Jesus is to deny his resurrection that he conquered death and he promises to us eternal life. And to deny Jesus is to deny his ascension, that he's actually seated at the right hand of God right now and is worthy of our praise and worship. In a nutshell, to deny Jesus is to deny Christianity and to deny Christianity is to deny Jesus. Incarnation, atonement, resurrection, 
These are the foundational truths of our doctrine and our theology, or, or we could use the word our orthodoxy. And these false teachers are denying that which is fundamentally true of Jesus. Everything we do as a church, everything that we do is built on these foundational truths, these doctrines. This is our orthodoxy. Well, what does this have to do with you? And what does this have to do with me? Because there's a lot of you that listen to podcasts and a lot of you that get on Facebook and there's a lot of you that read books. And my encouragement to you is to be very careful at what you read and what you listen to and what you accept as biblical teaching. What does this have to do with you and what does this have to do with me? We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. This week, I read our belief statements, the beliefs of sanctuary. We have our belief statements, uh, our orthodoxy posted on our website. It kind of spells out everything that we believe. And then I started looking at the belief statements of the other churches on Due West Road. There's a bunch of churches down here. And the reality is most of our belief statements say the same thing. We almost all agree in all of the same things these, that we're talking about here, these foundational truths. All of our churches on Due West Road pretty much have the same foundational truths. It's not our orthodoxy that separates us. It's our orthopraxy. It's our actions. It's how we live out these truths. That's what sort of separates us as churches. Not one's right and one's wrong. It's just the way that we live out these truths are what separates us. I'll just say this. I don't think I've ever been accused of being a false teacher when it comes to orthodoxy, that doctrine stuff. But the way I express these truths, the way I teach them to my family or sometimes to our faith family, that's when there are questions. In our day, we rarely disagree on foundational truths. Rarely do we disagree on the incarnation or on the atonement. Rarely do we disagree on the resurrection, right? We pretty much are all in. But in the last couple of years, depending upon an issue or someone's opinion of truth, these false teacher accusations have gotten really, really common. And they've kind of been just thrown around depending on what a person says or doesn't say about an issue. Uh, I'll see if I can illustrate it this way. You guys know that I am in the world's greatest DMD group. I think you guys know that. I've talked about my DMD group. Our DMD group is totally nuts. Uh, there's a couple guys here. I see a few of you here. No one is in my group is raising their hand, um, but they're here. I see you guys. You're sitting next to each other. You're shaking your heads at me. I see you. I'm in the world's greatest DMD group. These guys are amazing. And a couple of weeks ago, we were having a conversation about a video that went viral. And the comment on the video was this. If your preacher doesn't say this, you're in the wrong church. And then it was a clip about this preacher going through this whole thing. And I came out of, I lost my mind. These guys will tell you, don't ask them. And don't ask them what it looks like, but... These guys will tell you, it was, I, was, I, was, I couldn't handle it. It's just so common. If your pastor is not saying these things, you need to find another church. Here's the way I interpret this. It's twofold. Now, by not saying something, a pastor is a false teacher. 
And secondly, since when does social media get to decide the heart of a pastor? It's not okay. It's not okay. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to the passage in Matthew chapter 7. We read verse 15 just a minute ago. Jesus is called to watch out for false prophets. These are the verses that follow. Jesus is going to move from the conversation of orthodoxy to the conversation of orthopraxy. He's going to say it's not just what they say. It's the way in which they act. So check this out. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is how you spot false teachers, by their fruit. Peter knows all of this. He'd have heard Jesus talk about false teachers. He would have been with Jesus time and time again when Jesus confronts religious leaders for not loving or for abusing or for ignoring sinners and sufferers. Peter knows all about the necessity of right doctrine and right theology. But now Peter, just like Jesus, Peter is going to shine a spotlight not on what we believe, but about the way that we behave. So we read, these, we read these first couple of verses, verse 1, 2, and 3. We won't read them again. I'll just highlight two things about fruit. Peter says this, Their conduct is depraved. In their greed, they exploit. That would be enough, right, for us. Like we could say, okay, false teachers, got it. Their conduct is depraved. In their greed, they exploit. But Peter is just getting started. That's not enough. If you were looking in 2 Peter chapter 2, slide down to verse 10. He says this, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and who despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you with eyes full of adultery. They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. Well, let's leave that up for a moment. I think I got them all. Corrupt desire of the flesh, despise authority, bold and arrogant, heap abuse, blasphemers, creatures of instinct, carousers in broad daylight, revel in their pleasures, eyes full of adultery, never stop sinning, seduce the unstable, experts in greed. Peter is calling attention to the fruit of these false teachers. Could we just end right here? Would that be enough if we just end, everybody got it? Peter doesn't think 
that we need to end right there. He keeps going. Slide on down to verse 18 and 19. For they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Greed, sexuality, and violence. I think that might sum up the whole list. And the worst of it all is that they entice people to join with them. One point that seems really clear to me, there's only a couple of, cha- a couple of verses about the right, right orthodoxy. There's a whole lot that Peter has to say about the way that you behave, about the way that we behave. How is what you believe influencing the way that you behave. See, this message is not just for us to be able to spot false preachers. This message is for us to examine what kind of fruit is our life producing? What kind of fruit is your life producing? We can come in and we can say, oh yeah, I believe all of that and I believe all of that and I believe all of that. How does that translate in the way in which you behave? I think that's what we've got to make sure that we understand. This message is for me and it is for preachers, but it is for you too. What kind of fruit are you producing? One point seems really clear in this text that it's way more than about our doctrine. It's also about our action. I know lots and lots and lots of good people. I grow up with a, lot, with a lot of people who have very solid doctrine, but their lifestyle doesn't match up. You know people like that too. I want you to flip over just real quick. We'll just take a sidetrack out of Second Peter for just a moment. Flip over to the book of Jude. Uh, Jude is the last book before Revelation. Jude was written by uh, Judas, a uh, brother of Jesus, who came to faith after the resurrection. Jude, just one chapter, it's a short little letter. There are certain elements, I just want you to see the parallel here. There are certain elements in this short letter that are really similar to what Peter writes. I want you to look at verse 4, 8, and then 14, 15, and 16. So listen to this. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus, our only sovereign and Lord. Does that sound familiar? Jude is saying the exact same thing that Peter just said. Verse 8, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and they heap abuse on celestial beings. Verse 14, see the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts that they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. One more word from Jesus here. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, flip back to Matthew 18. You remember in Matthew, 15, uh, Matthew 7, Jesus, uh, verse 15, Jesus was talking about uh, the fruit of false prophets. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, 
Jesus says there's going to be divine justice and divine judgment on these false teachers. You know this, but Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is part of his very first sermon. It's a part of just about everything he said uh, as it is in heaven, right? On earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is here and now. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said in his very first sermon. In Matthew's gospel, he recounts Jesus talking about who is the greatest in his kingdom. And Jesus says, it's kids. Kids are the greatest. So check this out. This is Matthew 18, verses one through five. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him. I love this picture. He called a little child to him and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. We would all agree, yes? I mean, kids, come on. Kids like the kingdom of heaven, the innocence, right? The wonder of a child, the trust of a child. Jesus is saying, hey, it's just like this. But then Jesus says these words. This is the next verse, verse 6 and verse 7. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Woe to him. Jesus is talking about divine judgment and divine justice. And that's what Peter is saying in this chapter. These false teachers, they will be judged. Back to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Peter writes these words. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true for those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority, bold and arrogant. They're not afraid to heap abuse even on celestial beings. Both Peter and Jude are saying what Jesus said, divine justice will come on these false teachers. One of the things that I want to make sure you hear today is this, that our doctrine is not merely stated but lived. Fundamentally, our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy are inseparable. Right action is fueled and directed by biblical and theological truth. 
And orthodoxy is only meaningful and substantive when it takes on flesh in faithful practice. We cannot have one without the other. They go together. Jesus preached the good news that assumed the total integration of belief and action. Two things he said. John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Matthew 7, 24, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then this is the last thing that I want you to hear today. In this world where we all get to decide whatever truth is true, I want you to hear that there is absolute truth and objective reality and it's found only in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How's that going? What does that fruit sound like or feel like? What does that fruit love like in your life? How are you giving? How are you receiving that fruit, the fruit of love? By this, everyone will know that you're mine if you love one another. To love, according to Peter, means to devote oneself to the well-being of others, no matter their response or the cost. To love is to share in God's own life. How's it going? How's it going? I just want to give us a second to think about these words Words of truth from scripture, not my words, these words. And I want to give you just a moment of quiet where you can listen to what God says to you. First, the God who calls you beloved. And then to allow God just to search you and know you. And if there are things that God wants to raise up in you, I want to invite you just to take a couple of moments and listen. And then respond as God leaves you, leads you one step at a time. So let's just have a moment of quiet and then I'll close our time in prayer. Jesus, thank you for your life, your death, and for your resurrection. And thank you that you are still at work making all things new. Instead of greed, you gave. Thank you. You gave your whole self as a sacrifice for our sins. Thank you. Instead of distorted sexuality, you enabled us to become the beloved. Thank you that we are your beloved. And instead of violence, you endured violence. Giving yourself fully to it. Thank you. Would you remind us again this morning, even now, of your love for us? And your call for us to love. In Jesus' name.
Amen.